The logistics industry facilitates Ukrainian relief. With higher costs for everything, sustainability efforts are taking a back seat. And what needs to change to reduce volatility in global trade? Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories, as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. I am Dave Maloney. I'm the Group Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Aptian. Aptian is a global provider of mission-critical, industry-specific logistics and transportation management solutions. Aptian routing and scheduling delivers advanced transportation management systems to world-leading brands, helping them streamline daily operational processes. If you're ready to see savings of up to 30% and unlock the value of your transportation operation, Aptian can help. For more information, visit aptian.com and discover what's next now. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, the logistics industry is in a unique position to help aid Ukraine during its time of need. At the center of the coordination of the flow of relief goods within the supply chain industry is the American Logistics Aid Network, or better known as Allen. I spoke yesterday with Allen's executive director, Kathy Fulton, about how the logistics community is helping refugees and others during the current crisis in Ukraine and what more needs to be done. Here now is our conversation. Welcome back to Logistics Matters. It's great to have you with us, Kathy. Hey, Dave. It's always great to be with you. Alan, of course, has been involved with helping crisis areas around the world for many years, but usually your efforts are in response to natural disasters and not wars like we're seeing right now in Ukraine. So how does that make the Ukraine crisis different? Yeah, that's a terrific question. And actually, I'll start by telling you what we're seeing that's the same, and that is the outpouring of support from people around the globe who want to help. Um, And there's good and bad to that, right? Um, The good part is that aid is flowing in both from government and um, corporate and individual sources. Um, The bad thing is that tends to lead to some clogged supply chains. Um, In fact, the the uh, Ukrainian logistics cluster support team and put out a, a notice that they they really want people to be able to coordinate amongst the responding organizations because it, they're having um, service impacts, right? You know, just like we have a driver crisis here in the U.S., uh, Europe has that you know those same challenges, and especially within the country of Ukraine um, because of all the the displaced population. So that's, you know, that's kind of what is the same, that outpouring of support and the challenges it brings. Um, what's different is, you know, whenever you deal with a, um, a disaster caused by a natural hazard, you have those dangerous conditions, but they tend to resolve themselves within a few days, right? So um, a road or a bridge may be um, covered in debris, let's say from, from a hurricane or a tornado, um, but they can clear that and that road can be passable. What's happening is here is day to day, those conditions are changing, right? Just because a road or a bridge is safe and passable today doesn't mean that you'll be able to take that, that same route tomorrow. Um, the other challenge uh, that that we see that's different is, um, 
you know, the number of displaced persons is, you know, 10 million plus now, right? Um, the largest evacuation we've ever seen in the U.S. was in response to Hurricane Irma in 2017, um, and that was like six and a half million people who left the peninsula of Florida to get out of the way. So when you're dealing with the uh, complex changing infrastructure um, and then dealing with trying to um, feed and clothe and shelter and provide medical care for um, for a, a population that's on the move, that becomes a very daunting task for uh, the humanitarian organizations who are responding. Usually you have set partners that you work with. Obviously in a situation like this where the war is changing continuously, are you finding it difficult to, to be that matchmaker that Alan typically is in finding those people who have resources and those people who have needs? So it, what's really interesting is that a lot of the um, the folks who we work with on an ongoing basis are also the same folks who have had long-term relationships in Ukraine and in Eastern Europe. Um, so a lot of the the names who are familiar to you, you know, obviously Red Cross and Salvation Army and, and groups like that. But we also work with groups like International Medical Corps, who has a long history. Um, of working, you know, directly in Ukraine, as is uh, another smaller partner of ours, World of Giving, who has been in country uh, both in Poland and in Ukraine, and has those that deep network. So really, it's just um, exposing them to partners they may already know, uh, but also building those connections and those bridges um, uh, where they where just to fill their gaps, which is a lot of what you know we end up doing in our domestic disaster response as well. Sure. And of course, beyond the boycotts of Russian products and the resulting higher energy prices, there are a lot of other supply chain effects from the Russian invasion of Ukraine. What are some of the major concerns that Alan is addressing? Yeah, so I know um, Treasury Secretary Yellen recently you know, spoke to Congress and talked about the enormous economic repercussions for the world. And that has to do with both sanctions and inflationary pressure that we've already seen. Um, but those things are also challenges for kind of long-term uh, sustainability of, um, you know, food security challenges, right? So uh, if you look at Ukraine and Russia as the kind of the world's breadbasket, right? So we're talking about wheat and barley and, and rye. Um, so those those items become not just, um, you know, at risk because of destruction of crops, and we've not really seen that, but, you know, the more expensive to get them exported, they have to take different routes because, you know, ports that were previously available or logistics routes that were previously available suddenly aren't anymore. Um, we also are looking at things like, uh, you know, the challenges uh, with, um, Precious metals, you know, the nickel that's used in, in batteries and platinum, aluminum, steel, um, neon that, you know, I, I didn't even know that neon uh, was a really useful component in um, making chips, you know, um, uh, electronic chips until recently. And, but now everyone is concerned about that, especially because we've had this chip concern, you know, for a, a couple of years now through the pandemic. And then you think about a different kind of chips and that being, 
you know, snacking potato chips and a lot of the sunflower oil that's used in that production um, comes from uh, Ukraine and Russia. So those are, you know, why are we concerned about those things, right? So, um, well, those materials are very critical to, um, to, to food security, right? Or to logistics uh, activities. We're already in a um, challenging time for supply chains, let's say. I don't know, am I, am I allowed to use the word unprecedented still? Um, and this is just more friction on top of that that's gonna make it harder for um, equipment to, to be produced or um, materials to be moved. So all of those things are very much a concern to Alan because we understand that um, supply chain resiliency is key. Uh, that you know those pre-existing supply chains are key to serving communities after a crisis. So we we keep our eye on those things pretty closely. Sure, and and I think the issue of food insecurity is a concern moving forward too. Yeah. Um, and looking at the fact that uh, that in the U.S. Uh, harvest is down due to drought and things like that, can, can the world make up some of that deficit from Ukraine if they're not able to harvest their wheat? And what kind of implications will that have, especially on poorer sections of the world? Yeah, exactly. It that, you know at that point, um, you start to wonder about um, not just availability but price point, right? Are the uh, the communities and the the countries that are already um, food insecure, who purchase a lot of their materials, you know, from Eastern Europe, purchase a lot of those commodities, are they going to be priced out of the market suddenly? Um, and so it's a cascading crisis at that point um, because you know the war is not taking place in Sub-Saharan Africa, but Sub-Saharan Africa is very dependent on Ukraine for their um, their food. So um, thinking about those global implications, um, which, you know, uh, that's why looking across, you know, people's supply chains and looking at, um, you know, who are your suppliers, uh, knowing that, and most companies don't, right? Um, so I was at, a, at the, the Modex event last week, um, and we happened to have the good fortune to do a panel uh, with David Schilling for from Everstream Analytics and Alan Amling from University of Tennessee, uh, we kind of asked the audience, hey, you know, how many of you think you have exposure um, in Ukraine or Russia? And maybe, you know, five or 10 people in the audience of 50 or so raised their hands. Uh, but honestly, the numbers are probably much higher. Um, you know, Alan uh, found some statistics from uh, Dun & Bradstreet that, that say, you know, there's about 370 4,000 businesses worldwide that rely on Russian suppliers, and about 241,000 um, businesses that re rely on Ukrainian suppliers, and 90% of those, you know, 90 plus percent of those are based in the U.S. So we have, you know, this half a million plus U.S. businesses um, who have some risk exposure um, to Ukraine and Russia uh, with this conflict. And with our interconnected supply chains, as we've learned through the pandemic, it doesn't take much to send a ripple through everything. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. You know, and it has to do not just with the, you know, the the connectedness and you know the, you know, the tier one, tier two kind of supplier um, concerns, but also just you know thinking about um, the connectedness between. 
um, the products, you know, what is a forklift, what does forklift have to do with insecure food security, right? Or what is um, you know, what does a shipping route have to do with, with food security? But as we know, you know, even things that, that may not seem connected, um, somehow it, we, you know, we end up with with problems on the other end when we, we never knew um, that there was, that there would be an issue. Uh, thank, you know, maybe, maybe the pandemic has taught us a few things there. So what kind of activities is Alan involved with and what are some of the ways that people in the logistics community can help? Yeah, so, you know, our strategy has always been supporting the initiatives uh, for the demand-driven response work. Um, so we want to, we're working with our nonprofit partners who are, um, who are already on the ground, who've done their assessments, who know what is needed, where it's needed, when it's needed, um, and the quantities it's needed in. Um, so I've mentioned, you know, a, a couple of those groups, International Medical Corps, um, World of Giving, and, and others that, that we're working with. So um, as they need those connections or those resources, we're helping to, to provide those, those connections for them. You know, we also know that there are um, businesses out there, there are coalitions out there that want to, to help um, and who are, you know, kind of banding together to say, hey, we have these resources. Um, let's offer them. So as we can, we're helping to connect them with those the demand side, um, with the nonprofits who are already in the region who can um, take those services that are being offered and put them to use. We want to help wherever we can when we know that the activities um, are going to help those who are in need. Yeah, that, that's kind of what we're what we're up to right now. Sure. What, um, what kind of needs are there that that someone might be able to help with? Well, there are always, you know, logistics, transportation needs are always a big one. And even if, you know, we, we post those needs to our, to our website, alanaid.org. Um, but if, you know, if someone doesn't see a need right then and there, they can always pre-offer it. They can give, you know, they can say, hey, we want to help with transportation. Transportation's a big one. Um, we have had a couple of conversations about warehousing um, in Eastern Europe, we think that those have, have gotten resolved as of now. Um, the World Food Program is, is very active and has um, set up their warehouses, their shared warehouses. So we think that those kind of, um, those uh, warehousing needs are taken care of. But this is, you know, even if the war ends today, we still have 10 million plus displaced people um, that are going to need um, food and shelter and medical care. So we're kind of looking at this from a, a long-term perspective. You know, let us know how you can help now, and maybe we call you in a few weeks or, or a few months. So they should check the Allen website, and then if they do have a, something that they can offer, you'll help them to be able to put those resources to use. Absolutely. And we know, like, people um, also want to give products, especially products that are coming from the U.S., uh, you know, there's long supply chains to get them there. They have to, to match them with the right people. They may not be in the right um, quantity or type of product that, um, you know, the Ukrainian population is accustomed to, to eating or utilizing, um, but there may be need for it. So, for example, um, a shipment of face masks uh, that's going, you know, from a U.S. Uh, distributor to a U.S.-based nonprofit, uh, we're kind of helping with those first mile logistics. So there are opportunities, whether it is here in the U.S. or abroad, um, to be a, 
one link in that chain that ultimately ensures that um, you know a refugee or displaced person gets what they need. And again, the website is allenaid.org. That's correct, allenaid.org, and you can see um, you know there's a big bright blue and yellow banner um, that everyone will recognize is the the colors of the U Ukrainian flag that um, will help you connect to the best way to um, to offer support right now. Kathy, it's always a pleasure. Thank you again for being with us and keep up the good work. Thanks, Dave. It's always a pleasure for me as well. We've been talking to Kathy Fulton, Executive Director of Allen, the American Logistics Aid Network. We would also like to make a mention that in addition to helping the great work of Allen, we also received a note from the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals, or CSCMP, that that organization and its Ukraine Roundtable have established the CSCMP Talent Center Ukraine Logistics Operations Relief Fund in support of service providers who deliver medical and food relief to the millions of people affected by the war in Ukraine. Go to cscmptalentcenter.org for details and to make a donation. And now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Victoria, you wrote this week that rising costs are forcing many companies to slow their climate change initiatives. Can you give us some details from that report? Sure, happy to. Yeah, so um, businesses are scaling back investments due to inflation uh, and supply chain decarbonization efforts are among the first on the chopping block. Uh, and that's according to a recent report from procurement and supply chain consulting firm Proxima. Uh, the company surveyed 2,000 CEOs in the United States and in the UK for its uh, Supply Chain Barometer 2022. Um, and the inflationary environment we're in really rose to the top of the key issues companies are facing. 91% of the CEOs surveyed said their companies are experiencing inflation. Not a huge surprise, we're all dealing with that. But one in 20 said they are seeing inflation above 10%. Nearly half said their businesses have raised prices as a result. Other tactics for dealing with the rising costs include nearshoring, so we're seeing companies you know, bring their supply chains closer to, to home, delaying business investments, as I said at the outset, and also reconfiguring products and services to sort of uh, better align costs. But as I said at the beginning, when it comes to scaling back investments, sustainability is among the hardest hit. The research found that a quarter of businesses have had to delay their plans to decarbonize their supply chains due to inflation, and another 13% said inflation had changed their decarbonization plans altogether. Victoria, did the study mention how those plans are changing? Not specifically. Uh, the CEOs surveyed seemed more concerned about getting costs back under control. Uh, in general, and they made it pretty clear they think the government should be doing more to address the problems businesses are facing. 89% of CEOs expressed concern that government should be doing more to tackle inflation, for instance, and about half said government leaders should be taking steps to cap energy prices for businesses. A similar number said the government should be actively intervening by sourcing certain goods, so, so more uh, helping to get costs in line that way. So in general, just a lot of concern out there about rising prices, which is something we've talked about a lot in the past year and in recent months especially, um, and the issue doesn't seem to be going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, definitely inflation affects everyone. Let's hope it returns a little bit to somewhat normal in the future. Thanks, Victoria. You're welcome. And Ben, you wrote this week about the continued volatility in global trade and what needs to change to get things back to normal again. What more can you tell us? 
Yeah, just so. Uh, and I was also hearing about some of the impacts of those rising prices. They, they come from a, a variety of sources. Uh, and really, the primary thing is uh, just the, the pure volatility, really, in, in global trade right now. Um, we've been tracking ripples in global logistics uh, for some time that's being caused by these major events like uh, China's strict COVID lockdowns, like, of course, the Russia-Ukraine war and those high oil prices. Uh, this week, one expert uh, said that a better analogy than ripples for those problems would actually be to call it a traffic jam. So this was from the German container, uh, the German company called Container Exchange, which tracks the flow of containerized goods, of course. And they said they're seeing delivery delays and reduced capacity on some of those cargo lanes. And it compared the cause of that to start and stop highway traffic that we've all been in. So Christian Roloffs, he's Container Exchange's CEO, said it's almost like in a traffic jam. Some people stepped on the brakes really heavily. And the problem is that that will lead to a significant bulk up in demand for freight services, which will be essentially unleashed once factories reopen. He's talking about China there. And when demand is back, uh, the carriers will, again, not have enough equipment on the ground because not enough equipment went into China during the port lockdowns. And so not enough vessels are available and that will push up prices once again. So according to Roloffs, that kind of cycle uh, in global logistics will really not return to normal pace until all the various links in the chain begin to work in concert again. Uh, in his view, he said the way that you remove the traffic jam is not by stopping something violently and then hitting the accelerator again. It's more making sure that traffic flows at a certain speed. Well, Ben, that sounds like good advice for the market overall, but how are individual companies faring? Great question. Uh, it's one thing to talk about how to fix the market, of course, but in the meantime, even large firms are finding it really hard to forecast business conditions right now. As an example, the German logistics provider, Kion AG, uh, they make Lindy and Still forklifts, and they own Domatic, the system integrator, so a very large corporation. They said this week that they're withdrawing their 2022 fiscal outlook. Now, it had released that forecast just a month ago, but now, citing the military conflict in Eastern Europe and China's very strict COVID lockdown policies, the company said it expects that its first quarter earnings and its free cash flow could fall significantly short of the same quarter last year. Uh, the reason is that Kian is struggling with a lack of parts availability and a sharp rise in material costs, and those procurement bottlenecks are likely to last much longer than previously anticipated, they said. Now, we should say the company said there's no reason to panic. They said their fundamentals are still good, and it expects its results to fall within market expectations. But still, it goes to show it's uh, rough sailing out there. Right. And it will take more than just a good compass, I think, to keep everything on course. Thanks, Ben. Glad to do it. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories and check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. And our thanks again to Kathy Fulton of the American Logistics Aid Network for being our guest today. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. And speaking of subscribing, we encourage you to check out our new sister podcast series, 
Supply Chain in the Fast Lane, co-produced by the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals and Supply Chain Quarterly. This past Tuesday, we discussed the state of warehousing, and next Tuesday, we'll look at the air freight market. Subscribe to Supply Chain in the Fast Lane wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to catch up on the past episodes. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Aptian. Aptian routing and scheduling supports logistics and delivery fulfillment operations with the tools needed to optimize resources, automate route planning and proof of delivery processes, and drive savings of up to 30%. Your delivery operation can be a powerful vehicle to deliver game-changing customer service. Aptian routing and scheduling can help. Visit aptian.com and discover how now. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters, when we will look at the impact of China's zero-tolerance COVID policy on cargo movement. So be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a great week.